You can be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. While you're turning there, I saw an article this afternoon that I wish I would have seen it before the message this morning because I would have been able to use part of it. But uh, on the Fox Internet, Fox News Internet channel this afternoon, they have an interesting article dealing with the heat wave index. You know, we're hearing all this, we're hearing all this stuff about, man, this is historical, what's going on. All these triple-digit figures that they've been having out in, well, in a bunch of different places in the country and all that. And uh, that's proof that global warming has taken place. And uh, Fox News, they gave the story this afternoon on their website that the heat wave index right now is actually, uh, well, it was four times higher in the 1930s than what it is right now. Of course, people who've lived in Phoenix all their life understand that. It's always triple digit in the summertime. And people in Alabama knows it gets hot in the summertime in Alabama. It's unusual if we don't have a bunch of 90 degree days. But it just, you know, these people, especially the Weather Channel and the climate change people and all that, they live with nothing but fear mongering. That's all it is. And then we had something interesting tonight. Brother Hatchell got up and gave his announcement, and he said he needed two readers. He needs a brother. I thought, what does he mean by that, a brother? He needs a brother. (laughs) Did, Did that strike anybody as odd? Oh, good. I'm not the only one that thinks that way. Um, And I guess guess that's in contrast that you, you can't be a sister. You got to be a brother. And then a businessman. I thought, I wonder how many of our, what is it, 17 to 30-year-olds are businessmen. Oh, but you play a businessman. But you don't have to know anything about business in order to get it. Isn't that right? All you got to do is be able to read. So it doesn't make any difference, fellas, if you're a brother or a businessman. You can still take part in the Reader's Theater. Now, I realize that even talking about that stuff, probably some people who get offended at everything got offended at what I just asked, but that's the way my mind works, so. Besides that, Jesus said it's impossible, but what offenses will come, so why worry about it? Amen, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to get offended at anything that you do. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17, very famous chapter, because this is a chapter about David and Goliath. And I'm not going to be preaching on David or Goliath, either one. There's something else in this I want you to get. But first of all, let's read some Bible. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokoth, or Shucko, uh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shucko and Asica, or Asica, in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. 
and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Go down to verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Now our text tonight is from verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper. So I want to preach a message I've entitled, Give the Baggage to the Keeper. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we beg you tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God and pray that you would do a work upon our hearts. God forbid that we should allow the baggage in our lives to keep us from serving our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have your way in our lives tonight, and Father, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2010, I was preaching at a camp meeting at Bethel Baptist Church in Riverview, Florida at that time. Brother Tommy Shavers was pastor of that church. He now pastors, of course, over in Corinth. Uh, he is out of Madison Baptist Church in full-time Christian service. And at that meeting, Brother Steve Freeman, who's now with the Lord, was preaching. I always loved to hear Brother Freeman preach. Uh, he always called himself a Georgia cracker. I don't know anything about that, but I do know that he was a good preacher of the Word of God and always enjoyed him being with us. Matter of fact, he preached for us a number of times. Uh, when his wife was having cancer, we had Brother Freeman come in and preach. And uh, you gave that week, I think, $10,000 for him. And when I gave him the check, I, I didn't just give him a check and get on the road because I know how it normally works with preachers. You know, a preacher, when he gets the check, doesn't look at it. He just simply puts it in his pocket, 
waits till he gets to driving down the road, and then he gets it out and he looks at it with no one around. And but I didn't want him to drive into a tree when he saw the amount, so I thought I would just take him to the back room. We went right back here in one of these uh, counseling rooms. And um, I said, Brother Steve, I think you probably need to look at this before you get in your car uh, so that you'll, you'll already have it down. And, and so he looked at it, and it was $10,000, and he began to weep. And he said to me, he said, Brother Allison, I was praying before I left to come down here because my wife's bills totaled $8,800. And I just said, Lord, you're going to have to pay it. I don't know how we're going to get it. And I said, well, looky there. You've got enough to take her out to eat too. So that's pretty good. <laughs> and he left, of course, rejoicing. Well, he was preaching on, on David and Goliath in, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 at that camp meeting. Uh, I wrote down his outline, great outline. In verses 17 and 18, he said of David that he had right things in his basket. After all, he had things that were given by the Father and he made the comparison, we have things in our basket. We have the word of God. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that given by the Father for us to share with others. Uh, he also said of David that he knew when to speak up in verse 29 uh, when he made the statement, is there not a cause? Uh, he knew when to speak up. And there is a time we need to be speaking up for our God, for our Christ, for the word of God. We need to be speaking up for the cause and then he mentioned his gun was loaded. He picked up five smooth stones out of the brook. And uh, some people have tried to figure out why David picked five smooth stones. I don't think that's real hard to figure out. Now, some people have said, well, it's because uh, there were five of those brothers. And so he took out enough to be able to take out each one of them. Yeah, but there was only one in the valley. And I believe he'd have been a dummy to only take one, sp one stone. I mean, if I only see one burglar coming in, I'm not throwing away four shells out of my gun and only have one, man. I'm keeping it loaded. You might miss with the first one. You know what I mean? First one may not do the job. He took five stones. Now, David believed he was going to win, but he didn't know how he was going to win. He had one weapon. He was going to use it. I mean, it could be that God would just simply trip Goliath and he'd fall on his own sword and die. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he went loaded and, uh, and that was right. He had his gun loaded, always ready. Not only that, he knew where to put the baggage. In verse 22, we read it. He left, it with the, uh, he left the carriage with the keeper. And uh, then the last thing he said was he knew who to trust. In verse 45, he came in the name of the Lord God of Israel. He knew who to trust. And we're to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths and so on. But when he got to that fourth point, uh, Brother Freeman was talking about he knew where to put his baggage. And boy, that just stuck with me out of that message. I came home, I thought about it, began to write some meditations about that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I mean, I see all those points except the one you're preaching on tonight. It says he left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. And quite often when we think of a carriage, we think of, you know, a horse and buggy type of thing. I looked it up in Webster's 1828 dictionary and a carriage, it just simply means baggage. As a matter of fact, you will take, for instance, I don't know what they call those big things you put on the top of your van to hold the extra stuff when you go on vacation and travel. What's that called? Anybody know? A top carrier? 
Okay, well, that sounds good enough to me. That may be the official legal name of it. I don't know what, but it carries. What does it carry? It carries your baggage. That's what it's in. Now, when he came there, I doubt that, uh, I doubt that David came in a horse and buggy. But he did come with baggage. He came with baggage, some of it to provide for his brothers, no doubt some of it to take care of himself. But the point is this, he knew where to put his baggage. He was getting ready to go into battle. And he left his baggage, not just with anybody, he left the baggage with the keeper. Now, there are a lot of people, he, kept, he did that, of course, to keep from being hindered in what he was about to do. And the reality is there are a lot of Christians today that because of baggage in their lives, they are hindered from serving the Lord like they ought to be serving the Lord. Baggage. Matter of fact, someone said, you know, what? talk about problems. When you add people, you add problems. No, you don't. When you add people, you multiply problems. And the reason you multiply problems is because everybody has their own set of baggage. And they come in, as they get to know people, their baggage gets mixed with the other people's baggage, and it multiplies problems. I mean, it can be personality baggage. It can be strange thing baggage. I mean, it's just the baggage just does it. So as I meditated upon that, let me just give you some thoughts. Number one is this. uh, We start out in our Christian life by leaving our sins with the keeper. Truly, our sins is keeper. The reason that we were lost and had to get saved was because of sin. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem was sin. We were sinners. We were sinners by nature. We were sinners by choice. Romans 5.12, wherefore is my one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That was our problem, sin. It's why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. So you need to give your sin to the keeper. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior, the one who died for our sin, according to the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all what? Sin. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the Scripture says, and he is the propitiation for our sin, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, even though the sin debt has been paid, many die and go to hell because they're not going to trust Jesus for their sin. They want to trust themselves. They want to trust their good works. They want to trust their church. They want to trust their baptism, but they don't want to trust Jesus. And you try to put your sins in the baptistry, guess guess what? You still wake up with him. He paid for your sin and you come to him as the Savior. Because of our sin, we need a Savior. You say, what will he do with it? Well, Isaiah 118 declares, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Psalm chapter 103, in verses 11 and 12, the scripture declares, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In Micah 7 and verse 19, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. 
Thank God for the one who took our sins upon his body on the cross of Calvary. He paid the debt of death so that we wouldn't have to pay it. And for a person to get saved, you've got to leave your baggage there with the keeper. He's taken care of it. He's paid the price. Accept his payment completely. What a shame to die and go to hell when the keeper has already taken the sin away. Doesn't have to be that way. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. When I was going to Tennessee Temple and pastored uh, Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga, there was a family that we met there, the, uh, the man of the house, actually the man of the trailer, uh, was, uh, he's a nice enough guy, had a wife and three daughters, and the, the wife got saved, and the daughters all got saved, and I talked to him, his name was Tommy, I talked to him, and Tommy wouldn't get saved. Now at that time, we're talking about back in the 1970s, I don't know how much alcohol is today, didn't know how much it was back then, but he drank $300 worth of beer every week, and that had to be pretty much his salary for the week. I mean, he just drank. He'd pack it in his lunchbox in the morning. He'd drink it for breakfast, drink it in the evening. And I, every week, I'd go by his trailer to talk to him again. And, and he would say to me, Preacher, I know I need to do that, but I just love my beer too much. I said, well, not going to be any in hell. Of course, there's not going to be any in heaven either, but there's not going to be any in hell. I mean, for eternity, you're going to do without it, and there's not going to be anything to cool your tongue. That's the way it is. And I found out that probably about 15 years after we left that he ended up coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. But sadly, there are an awful lot of people lost simply because they will not give their baggage, their sin baggage, to the keeper. A second thing here is this. Sadly, there are a lot of uh, people who are saved who remain unfruitful in their service to God because of baggage. And they need to give it to the keeper. All of us have a certain amount of baggage with us that hinders us. And baggage does hinder us. You think about David. Why did he leave that baggage with the keeper? Well, he's getting ready to go into battle. He can't be tied down with a bunch of extra weight. That's the, that's the whole reason why he didn't take Saul's armor. He hadn't proved Saul's armor. It was heavy for him. It would have been a hindrance in him going to the battle. He didn't know, and I knew that Goliath was a veteran soldier. But big, clumsy, probably not clumsy, but he definitely was big. And we find that David did not want to be tied down and weighed down with that. You go into battle, that's the way it's going to be. Paul described this race that we are in. He says, uh, a matter of fact, let's turn to it over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You find that the Apostle Paul gave an awful lot of um, references to races. Figuring and no doubt speaking concerning what took place in the Olympics that were known in the Roman world at that time. But you notice in verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about 
with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Those saints who have gone on before, they fill the stadium. They are witnesses to us now doing our part in the service for the Lord. Well, we need to lay aside every weight like an Olympic runner. Hey, if you ever watch the Olympics, one thing you notice about them, those racers, they don't wear any extra clothing. You've never seen one of those runners bring his duffel bag up to the line with his tennis shoes in it, his extra pair of tennis shoes, his towel and anything else that he may need. He doesn't get down on on his haunches and then come up with his arm wrapped in the strap of that duffel bag. And when the shot sounds, he doesn't start running by carrying his duffel bag. Anybody did that never win. They wouldn't have a chance to win. It's a weight they don't need. They don't have to take it there. Uh, There's a reason why you don't carry baggage into a race. Now, he mentions in that verse, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, both weights and sins. And I can think of some weights that keep some people from serving the Lord. Now, you know about your background, and you can no doubt recite a number of things that you did before you got saved that you feel guilty about, or maybe even some things that you've done in the past that you feel guilty about. But guilt from the past, where you just feel unworthy to even be allowed to serve the Lord. Now, the reality of that is that we're all unworthy to serve the Lord. But guess what God uses? I've heard people say that God won't use a crooked stick, but that's all he's got is a bunch of crooked sticks. It has to do with people being surrendered to simply do God's will. All right, you've been saved. Question is, are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? Well, if you're forgiven, then why still carry it around? Can you go back and change the past? The Apostle Paul couldn't change his past when he gives his testimony in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, who was before a blasphemer, injurious, a persecutor. But he says, I received forgiveness because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he goes on to what God did for him in saving him. You remember in John chapter 11, you've got Lazarus in the grave for four days. Jesus comes to the graveside. He has to move the stone away and then he cries, Lazarus, come forth. When Lazarus comes out of the grave, Jesus' instruction to the people around him was, take off the grave clothes. Didn't want Lazarus running around. Now, he was alive. Why did they have to take off the grave clothes? Well, they stunk. He'd been dead four days. There was a smell about those grave clothes. Who wants to get close to somebody in grave clothes? Take them off. Look right so you can be the right testimony. And so they had them take it off. Now, some people, obviously, with some things in their life, they may not be qualified for certain areas of service. After all, God does have some restrictions if you're going to be a pastor. He has restrictions if you're going to be a deacon. There are some things you cannot do. What about people who are not qualified according to the Scripture? Now, I did not say not forgiven. I said not qualified. Please understand there's a big difference between being qualified and being forgiven. And let me give you an example that you ought to get right off when it comes to being a pastor. Now, women are not qualified. But if they've trusted Christ, they're forgiven. Isn't that right? But they're not qualified. Nothing can make them qualified according to the Scripture. They're forgiven. They're just not qualified. 
So you take, here's a pastor that has messed up morally. And uh, yes, he can get forgiveness from God, but he's not qualified to pastor anymore. That's God's restriction. And so he says, well, I, I can't do anything. No, you can do a lot of things. You can go soul winning. You can pray. You can be faithful to services and be an encouragement. You can help disciple people. You can do all kinds of things. No, but I'm not qualified to be a pastor. What you're saying is that because you can't do what you want to do, you're not going to do anything. You're letting your baggage keep you from serving the Lord. Don't let your baggage keep you from serving God. You say, but I'm so ashamed. Okay, now serve God. Just serve God. Somebody says, well, but I was married before. Well, you can still go soul winning. You can still read your Bible. You can still pray. You can be faithful to the house of God. You can still usher in the church. You can be a greeter. There's a lot of things that you can do. So do what you can do. Don't let the baggage keep you from being what you ought to be. Now, some people let failures. Just failure. I'm not talking about sin, just failures. Well, I tried this. I, I wasn't successful at it. I wasn't good at it. And then you let God determine whether or not you're good at it. Just be faithful at it. The Bible says required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Amen. The problem is we put the qualifications, we put success or failure down to our thinking, not to God's thinking. I mean, the truth is you can be a success at bringing some people to Christ, but you're not faithful at it. Well, that's bad. And here's somebody else. They might, may not be very successful at actually bringing person to the point of salvation, but they're faithful at telling people about Christ. That's good. Just be faithful at it because you see some plant, some water, some reap. So if God uses you in the planting ministry or if he uses you in the watering ministry, listen, that's not a small thing. Very few people get saved the first time they hear the gospel. Very few. So if God uses you to plant a bunch of seed, hallelujah, thank God for it. Because God will send the waterer in there and he'll send a reaper in there and the soul gets saved. And after all, isn't that what it is all about? Failures. Well, I taught a Sunday school class. I just I didn't do it. But there's still other things you can do. So you failed. All right. A person studies for a particular job in the world. And for whatever reason, they lose the job. Do you go hungry because you can't find the same job with the same pay someplace else? Or do you go out and do what you can do to put some food on the table for the family? Our welfare society has absolutely ruined the American ethic of work. You say, but I'm overqualified for those jobs. Well, hallelujah. I mean, really. But I mean, if a guy's got an offer of a job that he can make the money to feed his family and he won't take it because he thinks he's more important than that job, don't ask me to feed him. I'm not going to feed him. Not when he can do something else. What's happening is we're letting baggage keep us from serving him. He left his baggage with the keeper. I'll tell you, something else that can be a hindrance, that's friends. You know, it'd be a good thing if a lot of Christians took inventory of their friends. For instance, which friends draw you closer to God and encourage you to walk with God? And which friends that after you're around them, you, don't, you not only don't feel closer to God, you feel farther away from God? Which friends? Now, I'm not talking about your 5,000 Internet friends. 
That's not friendship. You understand that? Boy, the world takes good Bible words and totally misuses them. And after a while, we don't even know what they mean anymore. Friends might be an acquaintance, but not a friend. But take an inventory. You look in the Bible and you find good friends and bad friends. For instance, Amnon had a friend. And the friend that he had was his, was his cousin. Amnon had a friend, Jehonadab. Jehonadab was the son of one of David's brothers. And that friend led him to do something that was wicked, evil, and wrong. He didn't need that friend. And David, if he'd have been paying attention to his family, wouldn't have let Amnon hang around him. Now, we always taught our kids, you be nice to everybody and you be friendly to everybody, but you can't be friends with everybody. You need to, you mean, need to check them out. Now, the reality is, as a pastor, I have a lot of people that I'm friendly with, people I know, people that I appreciate, but I only have a few really close friends. Matter of fact, my two best friends are Brother Walt Schmidt and Brother Rick Savage. They are my best friends. I got some other good friends. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I've met some preachers that I decide I can't hang around those folks. All they do is run down to everybody, everything. And I'm going to find myself just having the most negative mind in the world if I hang around these people. Why, why would anybody want to hang around somebody that's always running down everybody else or always talking about their problems? It's never a good day. Everything's a bad day. I mean, I may not have a problem right now, but I know I've got to have a big one tomorrow. Friends, you need to choose your friends wisely. And by the way, parents, you ought to teach your children to choose their friends wisely. And part of the reason God gave your child parents is so that if you see a child that is not a good influence on your child, you stop them from spending time together. I mean, the world has talked us in not to be parents anymore. You have a responsibility to watch who your kids spend time around. At night, the world tells us, no, no, they get to choose. They even get to choose what sex they want to be now. And it's amazing how many church people think that's normal when it's so perverted and reprobate. Friends. How about hobbies? Hobbies can be weights that can keep you from being what you ought to be. Fishing can be that. Golf can be that. Motorcycles can be that. Campers can be that. They can be a weight. I mean, the truth is, all right, serve the Lord. Do it faithfully. If you have a hobby, great, do it. But don't let that hobby keep you from being faithful to the one thing God did call you to do. And the thing that he has you to do. We like to play. I love to play. I love to play. So I have to say no to play a lot in order to do what I'm supposed to do. Matter of fact, as you know, as some of you know that have been here a while, I used to love to bowl, man. I was a bowler. We lived not too far from the bowling alley in Sturgis, Michigan. I bowled on teams. Matter of fact, in my 10th grade year, we were the, we were the there were minor and major championships in the state of Michigan. And we won the Miners State Championship in, in my 
junior year. We won the major state champion. No, that was my sophomore year. We won the major state championship in bowling in our senior year. Junior year, I'll get the years right here in a minute. And then my senior year, man, we were ready to win it for the third year in a row, and we didn't even get out of the district. <laughs> Got a lot of trophies. Man, and I bowled. I, I, I bowled at Playmore Lanes in Kalamazoo, Michigan a lot. And a matter of fact, even worked some down there. This is all when I was lost, man. This is when I was still a rock and roll disc jockey and all that. And I like to bowl in those non-handicap leagues. Now, that doesn't mean handicapped people couldn't play. What that meant was that if you, for instance, had a 200 average and you're bowling against somebody that's only got 170 average, you would get like 22 pins. The other guy would get 22 pins a game. Well, I didn't want to beat pay people out with free pins or free, free points. And I didn't want to be beaten by somebody getting free score. I wanted to play in a non-handicap league where you either won or lost by what you shot with a bowling. Well, I loved to bowl. My dad was a bowler, loved to bowl. Matter of fact, our whole family loved to bowl. For a while, uh, my brother bowled for the Marine Bowling Squad uh, years ago. And he was a Marine, by the way, but uh, they didn't bring in a ringer. But the point is this. When God saved me and I got busier and busier for God, I stopped bowling. And I didn't stop bowling because it was wrong. I found myself having to make some decisions. Either I'm going to bowl with a team or I'm going to serve the Lord and I decide the bowling's going to have to go. It was just taking way too much of my time. You're going to find yourself in your life with hobbies that you may have or things that may be fun to do that you set them aside and they become part-time in your life so that you can spend your time serving the Lord. Give it to the keeper. Just give it to the keeper. Now, of course, I don't even have to worry about it because if I tried to bowl going down like you do like that, my knees go snap, crackle, and pop. I'm afraid I'd end up on the floor. But hobbies, you got to be careful about that. Oh, the computer. The computers. And I'm not just talking about social media now. You can spend hours on the computer and having accomplished absolutely nothing. Just nothing. No longer is the TV the big time waster in most of our homes. It is the computer that is the big time waster in an awful lot of Christian lives. As a matter of fact, our missionaries, one of the things they have to be careful about is getting on the computer and getting in everybody's life back at Madison Baptist Church. Missionaries weren't sent to a foreign mission field to be involved in everybody back here. They go to a foreign mission field to reach the people on the mission field and to be involved in their lives and to grow them in their lives, not to be on everybody's social media page, know what everybody's eating for breakfast at Madison Baptist Church. Just give it to the keeper. We've got all this expensive stuff that is so great and so wonderful. I, I'll dare say that we probably accomplished far less today than what we did before the computers ever came around. Because we spend so much time on things that keep us distracted from what we ought to be doing for God. It's one of the problems with blogs and chat rooms. Besides temptation... It can become a hurt to very money, uh, to very many. So you give it to the keeper. Now, some baggage needs to be put aside completely. Some baggage needs to be put away for now. 
I don't have any doubt that when David got done fighting Goliath, he went back to the keeper and got the baggage. You only need to set that aside for a little while. And there's some things you just need to set aside for a while. He put his baggage in the hand of the keeper until he was done. By the way, all you military people, you understand that. When jobs came up that you had to do and they'd chip you off someplace, you, sometimes you had to leave family back at home. Sometimes you got to take them, but then they sent you out on some, some uh, TDY thing where you still had to leave your family, but you came back to them. You just had to put that aside in order to get the job done, in order to get the mission done. You had to set aside some things. Well, listen to me. I'm in the Lord's army, and I have a responsibility sometimes to set some things aside in the service for the Lord. That is part of serving for the Lord. You look back at all the great missionaries of the past. I look at people like David Livingston. David Livingston in Africa, it was so dangerous in Africa, his wife stayed back in England. For a lot of years, C.T. Studd, it was the same way. In the last 20 years of his life in Africa, he only saw his wife for two weeks. She came down to Africa for two weeks. That's a sacrifice. Now, they started the heart of Asian missions and the heart of African missions. And so they ended up having their own mission board. She ran it up in England while he was ministering around Uganda and Tanzania and that area of, uh, uh, of Africa. Yeah, it cost a lot of people to serve the Lord. They paid high prices for it. Sometimes we have far more baggage than we need. Here's where you got to be careful. Some of it doesn't need, need to be given to the, the uh, keeper. Some of it needs to be thrown out. We become hoarders. Have you ever been to a place where a hoarder lived? All you wee chunk junk, junk guys, I know you've been in hoarder places to where you have to, <laughs> you wonder how'd they walk from room to room? How'd they even get there? Walk on piles of stuff. Oh, man. I'd have to say going through a house like that, spray me down, man. Spray me down. I don't want to take any of that stuff home. But they've even got television shows about hoarders. <laughs> thinking, I want to see that as much as I want to see pimple poppers. Man, now that's just nasty. You know what I mean? Come on, but I can't get enough of it. <laughs> no, I've had more than enough. That is just, that's sick, man. That's sick. And she'll do it. She'll do it while she's eating a sandwich. That's even sicker. Anyway. So you know, you know what a hoarder is. Some people hoard their hurts. I mean, really, I know Christians that can tell you everyone that's hurt them in the last 10 years. They can tell you every time someone has hurt them in the last 10 years. And let me just say, friend, if you can remember all the hurts of the last 10 years, you need to stop hoarding and put it away or you're going to be tied up all of your life. Jesus said it is impossible, but what offenses will come? All right, deal with it, move on. Some pastors get in trouble. They remember all the hurts, things people did. I'm glad God gave me a good forgetter. I mean, it's just... You know, if you don't bring it up all the time, it won't be long. You won't remember it. But if you're bringing it up all the time, you'll never forget it. 
When you see a certain thing, listen, people that have, I understand people not liking me. I get it. I've looked at the mirror. I understand people not liking me. I can understand people not understanding me. And I look at Ezekiel chapter 34. I see I'm, go, I'm called to pastor people who even disagree with me or who hate me. And I'm going to give an answer for what kind of pastor I've been to those people. So what do you do? You don't look at the things that's been done to you. What you do is you look at how you can be a help to them. Hoarders. They hoard hurts. Some are hoarders of friendships, and that takes me back to Facebook and Instagram and uh, one of those other sites that I can't remember the name of it right now. By the way, um, we used to keep the bowling trophies. You know, after a while, we didn't have any place to put the bowling trophies. We had a lot of bowling trophies, bowled in a lot of tournaments, had a lot of trophies. You know, always had that one guy like this <laughs> on top of the trophy. And, and the, more, the more times that you move, they end up missing arms. <laughs> the bowling ball falls off. Finally, I just came to the conclusion, let's just toss them. We don't need them. As far as I know, we don't have one bowling trophy. Do we have a bowling trophy? I didn't think we did. Got rid of all of them. Uh, we have golf sometimes in the, the tournament that Lloyd Smith used to have over at Goose Pond. And uh, got a couple trophies there. Didn't keep them. Don't want them. Don't want trophies. Don't want trophies. What do they mean? Means you were exceptionally lucky one day? Big deal. Remember Brother Smith, you remember? <laughs> he was in like the 17th flight. He finished first in the 17th flight, which is not good. <laughs> of course, I guess that's better than finishing last in the 17th flight, but we've always given him a hard time about that. Listen, don't be a hoarder of things that are just really of no use to you whatsoever in your service for God. Matter of fact, one time I had a hole in one in golf, only one time. We kept the ball, but I don't know whatever happened to it. It's gone. <laughs> Big deal. You know, if I was to bring that ball out and show it to you, you wouldn't see it in a hole. <laughs> I took it out of the hole right after I got the hole in one. So how do you know? I could show you any ball and say that was my hole in one ball. You wouldn't have a clue. You would just trust me to be telling you the truth. But you know that golfers and fishermen all lie. Amen. Now, we've laughed a little bit, but I want you to get the point. Give the baggage to the keeper so you can do the job that God has you to do. You want your life to count. Whatever the baggage is, set it aside and let's serve God. Absolutely amazing the things that we will allow to get in the way to keep us from being what we ought to be for our Lord Jesus Christ. Give your baggage to the keeper. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, we have laughed some tonight, but really, this is a serious matter, the things that we allow to keep us 
from being our best for our God. And I pray, Heavenly Father, tonight that we'll make some decisions that will free us to be what you'd have us to be for your glory. And Lord, we'll thank you as you do that. In Jesus' name I pray.